The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and analysis of the day's global events. This is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to your Global News Hour. I'm delighted to have your company. There's a lot to get through in today's show. And we will start by going through what's coming up with the ex-Pentagon chief saying that Donald Trump will leave NATO, ensuring its collapse. Climate fear is being round up at uh, COP28. Vivek Ramaswamy has sent the establishment into a tailspin as they can no longer be the gatekeepers of the official narrative when a presidential candidate calls out their lies. Italy has withdrawn from China's Belt and Road Initiative. JP Morgan has called for the end of cryptocurrency. Let's get into the news and we'll start with what's happening in Italy, who will put pull out, I should say, of China's Belt and Road Initiative. The government has confirmed Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney's administration notified Beijing that it would cease participating in the BRI ahead of a deadline at the year's end. Italy was the only major Western nation to sign up to the BRI, one of China's most ambitious trade and infrastructure projects back in 2019. The move was heavily criticised by the US and others at the time. Launched by Chinese President Xi Jinping in 2013, the BRI aims to invest an estimated $1 trillion across Asia and Europe. Projects including new and upgraded railways and ports aim to connect China with Europe and other parts of Asia. Reacting to the Italian decision to pull out of the scheme, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman did not criticise Rome by name, but said China firmly opposes smearing that the damages Belt and Road cooperation. President Xi addressed China's broader relations with Europe on Thursday during a visit by EU leaders to Beijing. The Chinese leader said that China and the EU should be partners and eliminate all kinds of interference. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that while China was the EU's most important trading partner, there are clear imbalances and differences that they must address. China's BRI has been criticised from the start by the US as an example of debt trap diplomacy. Washington says China's plans involve unsustainably large projects that countries are unable to finance, giving Beijing leverage for its own aims. Only a fraction of the up to 20 billion euros worth of investment in Italy promised by Xi in 2019 has materialised. Italian exports to China were worth 16.4 billion euro last year, compared to 13 billion in 2019. By contrast, China exports to Italy rose to 57.5 billion euro from 31.7 billion over the same period. China trades far more with EU members, France and Germany, despite the Eurozone's largest economies not being members of the BRI. Maloney's move comes ahead of a summit between EU Commission President von der Leyen and Xi on Thursday. During the meeting, von Vondelain is expected to warn the Chinese president to curb the supply of cheap goods, including solar panels and electric cars, to the EU. And despite the protest being called off due to the inflammatory and extremist nature of its signs to be displayed, the Times of Israel earlier reported that two far-right ultranationalist organisations and multiple Temple Mount activist groups were set to conduct a march through the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem on Thursday night to call for the re-establishment of Jewish control over the holy site. The event, entitled March of the Maccabees, was due to take place on the first night of the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, will proceed through or was meant to proceed through the Damascus Gate and into the Muslim Quarter, passed by the offices of the Jordanian Waqf, 
which is the administrator of the Temple Mount, and then they were to finish by the ramp of the Maghrabi Gate, the entrance of the Temple Mount for non-Muslims located outside the Western Plaza. The uh, individuals were originally scheduled to arrive from West Jerusalem to occupied East Jerusalem, with recent reporting indicating that they faced resistance from a significant number of police officers and the employment of a skunk water tank further down the road. It seems that the police are actively preventing the marches from reaching Damascus Gate. The intention was to enter that area. It was considered inflammatory because it encompasses the Muslim quarter utilised by the Palestinians. The initial plan of the marches was to traverse through the old city, passing the Jordanian officers, custodians of the holy sites, and then proceed to the Western Wall, despite the possibility of choosing a route from the Jewish side. The goals, though, of the march, as stated on social media for the event, are to bless the memories of the IDF soldiers who have fallen in combat against Hamas in Gaza, eject the Waqaf from the Temple Mount, and restore full Jewish control in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount needs to be cleaned of its enemies, especially because it is the most holy place to the Jewish people, and whoever governs it was uh, is governs the whole of the land, said Ben Mariah, who has said that his organisation is demanding full rights for Jews at the site and Jewish sovereignty in the whole country. Ben Mariah denied the march was a provocation and said that ignoring Islamist activity on the Temple Mount, such as Palestinian chants of we will liberate Al-Aqsa with blood and spirit. Mustafu Abu Sway is a member of the Waqaf, the Islamic Endowment site uh, group, which administers the holy site. Here he is speaking earlier, confirming the intentions of the Israeli groups, including some in government and military. This particular march, they have raised the uh, the stakes and they are, they are demanding uh, the total removal of the uh, Waqf administration and they want to um, implement uh, total Israeli sovereignty. Let's not forget that this is part, as you said in your introduction, that this is part of East Jerusalem, occupied East Jerusalem, and uh, Israel as the occupying uh, power has the uh, responsibility to uh, uh, maintain the historical status quo until basically the uh, the end of uh, the uh, occupation. Yes, these uh, groups uh, demand uh, uh, taking over the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Those who are kind enough, they would like to reloc relocate the Dome of the Rock, for example, and there are th those politicians even who speak directly about demolishing the uh, the Dome of the Rock and uh, lately even uh, uh, Amit Halevi, a member of the Knesset, suggested uh, that he would make it uh, a law uh, to divide Al-Aqsa Mosque, whereby the Jews would take about two-thirds, including the Dome of the uh, Rock and the northern area, and he would leave the Qibli Mosque, the southern mosque building, in the hands of the uh, Muslims. Yeah. A shooting in the Russian city of Bryansk on Thursday has claimed the lives of two female students one of whom was the attacker. Local police have reported the shooter turned the gun on herself after opening fire on her classmates. The police said five people were injured in total. The investigative committee identified the shooter as a 14-year-old girl who used a pump-action firearm that she brought to the classroom. Five other people were injured in the incident, the statement said. The health ministry also said that five injured victims were teenagers and had been brought to hospital for treatment. Their conditions considered stable. One of them is undergoing surgery, the statement added. While school shootings are relatively rare in Russia, several regions have experienced similar tragedies in recent years. In September of 2022, a gunman stormed a middle school in Ishvek in central Russia, killing 18 people, including 11 children and three teachers. 25 people were wounded in the incident. 
incident. And in September of 2021, a student opened fire at a university in Perm, also in central Russia, killing six people and injuring 47. In May of the same year, a 19-year-old man launched an attack on his former school in Kazan, resulting in nine dead and 32 injured. Bryansk itself, a city located some 340 kilometres southwest of Moscow, saw an incident involving an air gun in 2014 when a 15-year-old student brought one to school and used it during conflict with classmates. One of the projectiles he fired ricocheted off a wall and slightly injured a girl. And the suspect in the killing of the three people at the University of Nevada Las Vegas campus has been named as Anthony Polito, 67, a college professor who failed to win a job there, according to police officials. A fourth victim was critically wounded in the attack, which took place at approximately 11.45am local time, the Las Vegas Metro Police Department added. Students and professors were forced to barricade themselves into classrooms and dormitories across the 332-acre campus after getting an alert about a shooter. At approximately 12.30pm local time, the police department said the suspect had been located and was deceased. The gunman was a professor who unsuccessfully sought a job at the school, according to a law enforcement official with direct knowledge of the investigation, telling the Associated Press. He previously worked at East Carolina University in North Carolina, said the official, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorised to release that information publicly. And Seychelles President Wavel Ramkalawan has declared a state of emergency after a blast at an explosive depot and heavy flooding caused widespread devastation in the East African island country. According to a statement published on the presidency's website Thursday, the explosion caused massive damage to the Providence Industrial Estate and surrounding areas on the Indian Ocean archipelago's main island of May. The blast, which the BBC said occurred just after two o'clock local time, shook the island and also damaged the Seychelles International Airport, located about four kilometres away from the explosive depot. Heavy rains overnight additionally triggered flooding and landslides, complicating emergency response efforts to both disasters, with the president describing as a calamity for the country. The BBC reported that three people died when their homes were destroyed, while Reuters cited authorities as saying that at least two people were killed by the flooding. Flooding in the Seychelles, Africa's least populous country with about 100,000 people, is the latest extreme weather event to strike East Africa. Heavy rains and flash floods blamed on the El Nino weather phenomenon have ravaged parts of the region since October, reported of killing over 350 people and displacing over 1 million across Somalia, Kenya, Ethiopia and Tanzania. The Kenyan government reported late last month that severe flooding had killed at least 120 people and displaced 90,000 families. Floods have also killed at least 96 people and displaced 700,000 in neighbouring Somalia, according to officials. With more, we join this report from African News. The Seychelles on Thursday lifted the state of emergency declared early in the day after a huge blast at an explosives depot. The president said the explosion injured 66 people. It took place around 2 a.m. local time on Thursday in the industrial area of Providence in Mahé, the archipelago's largest island. Minister Jean-François Ferrari deplored the damage. The explosion was so, so big, so loud, so important, that it left a hole of 13 meters in the ground. And the, 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 the effect went down this zone this commercial zone and uh, it blasted away windows, doors, roofs of uh, many commercial buildings. 
The state of emergency had also been enforced because of heavy rain and flooding. Shops can now reopen and normal movement of the public resume, authorities have said, with the exception of the Providence Industrial Area. An investigation will be launched. Bangladesh's Awami League government is pressing ahead with holding general elections in January of 2024. Meet what Human Rights Watch say is a violent autocratic crackdown on the opposition Bangladesh Nationalist Party. At least 10,000 people, opposition activists, have been arrested since October 28. And many grassroots activists have fled their homes to avoid arrest and are reportedly spending nights under the sky in boats and remote areas. The Al government is accusing the opposition of instigating violence. Journalists have come upon many ghost cases where BNP men, who were already dead and now living abroad, were charged with violence in politically motivated cases. The BNP is boycotting the election, alleging that voting under Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina would not be free and fair. The country's largest Islamist opposition party, the JI, has been barred from participating in the election. Many demonstrations have been met by government crackdowns. The main opposition party and its allies say they will boycott the general election January 7. With more, here is Tanvi Chowdhury's reporting for Al Jazeera. The national poll is barely a month away, but opposition parties, right activists and political analysts are saying the situation in Bangladesh is not conducive for elections. The issue right now is not just the feud between two main political parties or their leaders, but citizens' right to vote, which has been eroding since 2014 election. And if once again people are deprived of their right to vote, they will not take it lightly. One lawyer's forum estimates more than 20,000 opposition leaders, activists and supporters have been arrested since late October. If there are any clashes or public disorder related to the election, the responsibility lies with the election commission. We have full confidence in it, whatever decision it takes. Last week, the chief election commissioner said that Bangladesh is now in crisis, citing the general election to be held on January 7, and saying there's been external influence on the election process. Despite this, some people are hopeful. As of now, I can't say for sure whether it will be a fair election or not, until and unless we can go to the polling centres. Only then will we know. Opposition parties and rights groups say the governing army league is trying to consolidate its grip on power in the run-up to vote by suppressing dissent. Cryptocurrencies should be outlawed, according to J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. He said that at a U.S. Senate Banking Committee's annual Wall Street oversight hearing on Wednesday. According to Dimon, who has a long history of criticising digital currencies, the only true use case for cryptocurrencies is criminal activity, from drug trafficking and money laundering to tax avoidance. I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. If I was the government, I'd close it down, the CEO stated. Dimon and several other industry chiefs, including Bank of America's Brian Moynihan, said the crypto market must follow the same anti-money laundering rules as traditional financial institutions. Senator Elizabeth Warren, who led the hearing, called on the US Congress to update crypto regulations. Warren urged the assembled banking executives to support the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2023, legislation which is expected to toughen banking laws to prevent the use of crypto for illegal activities. 
The crypto industry has suffered a slew of scandals over the past 12 months, starting with the collapse of the FTX crypto exchange in November of last year. This placed the sector under intense scrutiny from US lawmakers, resulting in the conviction of former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. And last month, another major crypto exchange, Binance, was fined $4.3 billion for an array of violations, ranging from money laundering to bank fraud. It's hard not to think that the CBDC and this collapse of crypto, the way it's come about, was staged. Former US President Donald Trump will pull American support for Ukraine if elected next year, setting in motion a chain of events that would lead to the collapse of NATO, his former Defence Secretary Mark Esper has claimed. In an interview with MSNBC on Thursday, Esper, who headed the Pentagon from July 2019 to November of 2020, was asked about the prospects of a second Trump presidency, what it would mean for the future of NATO. I think one of the first things that would happen is he would withdraw support for Ukraine, Esper replied. And of course, if that were to happen, the whole effort to support Ukraine in its war with Russia would eventually crumble. The US is likely to, uh, is like the big block in the Jenga Tower. You pull us out and everything collapses. His next move would be to begin pulling us out of NATO, certainly troops out of NATO countries, Esper told MSNBC. And eventually that could cause the collapse of the alliance in the next does he start looking, as the world discussed with me and others at the time, does he look to pull troops out of Korea, out of Japan, out of other countries that are allied with us? Throughout his presidency, Trump rallied against NATO's European members, accusing them of freeloading off the US's massive military presence on the continent while failing to meet the bloc's target of spending 2% of GDP on defence. Summit leaders, European leaders, I should say, into uh, were... were asked to uh, boost their military spending. And according to former National Security Advisor John Bolton, he was ready to announce the US withdrawal from the alliance back in 2018. Two months prior to Esper's interview, anonymous sources told Rolling Stone magazine that Trump and his advisors have discussed pulling the US out of NATO or dramatically scaling back Washington's commitment to the pack if he defeats Biden. According to the magazine, Trump told his team that his second administration would not be staffed by NATO lovers. With the 2024 election less than a year away and Trump leading Biden in most polls, a flurry of newspaper articles and op-eds have published in recent days claiming, often without evidence, that the former president would abandon NATO, the military and protesters uh, he would go after and attempt to install himself as a president for life if successful in 2024. All of the article's authors were prominent critics of Trump during his presidency, clearly basing that on no evidence. Meanwhile, the US government has set up an interagency deal team and will appoint a special advisor to Ukraine's Ministry of Strategic Industries to help increase weapons production and counter corruption, the White House announced Wednesday. This announcement came after the first day of US-Ukraine Defense Industrial Base Conference in Washington, which gathered over 300 government and industry representatives with the goal of significantly increasing the production of weapons and ammunition inside Ukraine. The State Department will send a congressionally approved advisor to Kiev to support and accelerate Ukraine's transition to an interoperable military force, combat corruption and attract foreign investment in critical industries. The White House added, the term interoperable has traditionally been used to denote a military using former Soviet equipment and doctrine transitioning to NATO standards. Over the past 20 months, the US and its allies have sought to replace Ukraine's battlefield losses with Western weapons and equipment, with each new system being hailed as a potential game changer in the conflict with Russia. 
According to the White House, the Pentagon and the US military industry have already provided Ukraine technical data to start local production of some of the Franken-SAM projects, referring to the practice of using Western munitions in Soviet-designed air defence systems. The initiative comes as Biden's request to send more than $60 billion in additional funding to Kiev appears to have stalled in Congress. On Wednesday, the Senate failed to advance the bill because Republicans objected to the US-Mexico border provisions that Democrats bundled with military aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. Meanwhile, the Ukraine Defence Ministry representatives at the conference have circulated a comprehensive list of items they would like the US and its allies to send them for free, including F-18 fighter jets, C-130 Super Hercules transport planes, helicopter gunships and terminal high-altitude air defence air systems. And in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the voter registration card acts as the ID, but since their issue, an unidentified number of these have faded almost clean. Just two weeks ahead of parliamentary and presidential elections in the Congo, in addition to the war in the nation's east, obstacles hinder this process. On Wednesday, many voters in Kinshasa rushed to replace illegible voter cards. Voter registered for December 20 election between December last year and March of this year, with some 44 million registered voters out of a population of around 100 million will be called upon to elect their president, as well as choosing from over 100,000 candidates for the legislative, provincial and municipal elections. A record, according to the Electoral Commission, which is determined to organise the elections on time, despite logistical difficulties in the country of 2.3 million square kilometres, with 20 candidates vying for the office of president alone. With more, we pick up this report from African News. Just two weeks ahead of presidential and parliamentary elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in addition to the war in the nation's east, obstacles hinder the electoral process. On Wednesday, many voters in Kinshasa rushed to replace illegible voter cards. Voters registered for the December 20 elections between December last year and March this year. I came here at 9.30 in the morning so I could get a new voter card because the old one became illegible. Everything disappeared, the writings, the photo alike. I can't vote with that card. I need a new one. In the DRC, the voter registration card acts as the ID. But since the issue, an unidentified number of these have faded almost clean. Those who don't have a card could use a passport, but they are too costly for most people. I was so worried. I didn't even think there would be an election. But when I came here, I understood that elections will be held. I'm relieved. I have seen the list of voters on display. It is a big step ahead and it shows that there is already gravitas a few days before the elections. The cards are supposed to be delivered free of charge, but there are widespread reports of agents demanding bribes for replacement. President Chisikedi, who is vying for re-election against some 20 candidates, deplored the practice last month. Coming up after the headlines, the presidents of three Ivy League universities are in damage control after a congressional hearing in ri- into rising anti-Semitism at their schools. This is Compass on TNT Radio. Turn on the news. I have a little news flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. InfoWars host Alex Jones has suggested the deep state will try assassinating Donald Trump to stop him from becoming president again. The White House has taken aim at Republicans for prioritising America's national security over Washington's support for Ukraine. 
The US military's grounded its entire fleet of Osprey aircraft following last week's fatal crash off the coast of Japan. And Ukraine's declared a power emergency as winter sets in and demand for heating soars. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. The presidents of Harvard University, the University of Pennsylvania, are responding to a backlash against their testimonies on campus anti-Semitism at the US Congress. In a five-hour hearing Monday, Harvard's Claudine Gay, Penn's Elizabeth McGill, joined by MIT's President Sally Kornbluff, testified on how their colleges are combating campus anti-Semitism, which observers say have been on the rise since Hamas's October 7 attack. The testimonies have made the presidents particularly Gay and McGill targets of criticism from supporters of Israel and Palestine alike, with some even calling for their resignations or legal action. What did the presidents of Harvard, MIT and Penn say? All three presidents were repeatedly questioned in the congressional hearing about what kinds of expression and values they allow on campus. The presidents maintain that they are committed to free expression and a diversity of viewpoints, even if comments are offensive, so long as speech does not cross into conduct or calls for violence. Let's play part of the hearing where Congresswoman Elise Stefanik questioned the three presidents. Does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment, yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if if the speech becomes conduct, It can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. 
Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard code of conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. Harvard's Claudine Gay has since responded in a statement on X. There are some who have confused a right to free expression with the idea that Harvard will condone calls for violence against Jewish students. Let me be clear. Calls for violence or genocide against the Jewish community or any religious or ethnic group are vile. They have no place at Harvard. And those who threaten our Jewish students will be held to account. And in lockstep with all the other globalist puppets, John Kerry's daughter, a newly appointed WHO special envoy for climate change and health, Vanessa Kerry, is now attempting to paint the imaginary climate crisis as a health crisis. The climate crisis is a health crisis, she said. We see 7 million people a year dying from air pollution, for example. That's more than we saw in the entire COVID pandemic over three years. Despite trying their damnedest to scare everyone into submission to the net zero agenda with fraudulent graphs, climate models and blood red weather maps, people just aren't buying into it. So a new approach is being adopted. Present the non-existent climate crisis as a public health crisis in template of the COVID pseudo pandemic. This week, we reported that Bill Gates said climate was not the issue yet, like malaria was, which took 400,000 lives a year. But Hillary Clinton said 10 million lives were lost to air pollution and 15 million a year to heat. Why are climate activists so cavalier with their numbers? It is as if no one will ever hold them to account and they will bend our will because they are the chosen ones who get to manipulate society. Not once do they discuss the ramifications of their push to switch off energy before replacing it. What the reduction in fertilizer and farmland will actually achieve when food production shrinks and the price of food increases. What actual health emergency is there that would compare to no energy and no food? Here is Vanessa Kerry getting airtime to push the global agenda. So obviously when people think about climate change, they don't necessarily think about health. Uh, you were appointed, uh, the first to be appointed in that position. What does it tell us about the importance of health in the climate change issue? Well, I think we've learned with great, great understanding in the most recent years that the climate crisis is a health crisis. And already we see 7 million people a year dying from air pollution, for example. That's more than we saw in the entire COVID pandemic over three years. And that's one person every five seconds, so that by the time I complete my next sentence, someone else will have died. And we see this in every aspect of health, the way climate change is impacting um, our, our lived experience. And so there's a very real opportunity for us to have a health-centered approach to climate change and to be able to ensure that we're protecting how we live, how we breathe, how we walk, and, and, and what we can do in our lives. And so... The appointment, I think, is truly just an opportunity to uh, continue to really flag the urgency of what we face. 
And coming up after the break, the Democrats don't like him, the rhinos don't want him. What is Vivek Ramaswamy saying that's getting up the nose of all these establishment types? This is Compass on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, Elon Musk, the owner of X, was asked about the boycott uh, of advertisers like Disney and Apple who have pulled off the site after he uh, retweeted an anti-Semitic tweet and for some other reasons. And uh, he didn't hold back in his response. Uh, Don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. And he says that if the boycott forces X to close up shop, the public will know who to blame. What this advertising boycott is uh, is, is going to do, it's, it's going to kill the company. And you think that that... Uh, I, but, and the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail. But they're going to say that, they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform, right? Let's that's see, that's and, what and they're going to say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. Earth to Elon, only time will tell. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. You're with Jason Olborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. At the latest of the Republican primary debates, Vivek Ramaswamy appears to be a Trump proxy, or at least says the things that Trump supporters might believe in. However, with Trump at least 40 points ahead of any of his rivals, that being Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie and Nikki Haley, one thing is certain, the status quo has virtually zero appeal. If Vivek, like the other three, cannot win, at least Vivek is going down fighting or auditioning for a cabinet role in a second Trump administration. So whilst Vanessa Kerry is making up numbers to propel the climate agenda, Ramaswamy is calling the climate agenda out. Here he is speaking at that event. I'll use this to just address a topic we didn't talk about tonight, but I think is one of the most important topics that needs to be discussed. That is this climate change agenda that is shackling this country like a set of handcuffs. I said it the first debate and I stand by it. The climate change agenda is a hoax because it has nothing to do with the climate. That's what we have to see. 98% reduction in the climate disaster-related deaths in the last century. Eight times as many people are going to die of cold temperatures this year than warm ones. Yet against that backdrop, there's an issue coming up in Iowa. 
It's core to Iowa farmers. I met Kim Junker, Kathy Stockdale, and other farmers who are about to have a carbon capture pipeline built across their land using eminent domain to do it. That's unconstitutional and it's wrong. And if you thought COVID was bad, what's coming with this climate agenda is far worse. We should not be bending the knee to this new religion. That is what it is. It is a substitute for a modern religion. We are flogging ourselves and losing our modern way of life, bowing to this new God okay. of climate. And that will end on my watch. Thank it's you, the most Ambassador critical issue that's coming up. Meanwhile, over at COP28, the climate summit where the hand ringers try to outdo themselves in manufacturing the most frightening alarm and instituting any form of economic policy possible that may appear to stop carbon dioxide, thought by scientists to actually cause warming, despite numerous scientists showing it doesn't. But Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission, wants a carbon price, and she wants it now. We all know if we want to keep global warming below the tipping point of 1.5 degree, we need to cut global emissions. And there's a way to cut emissions while fostering innovation and growth. Put a price on carbon. It is a market-driven instrument, and the message is very clear. You're polluting, you must pay a price. You want to avoid the payment, well, then innovate and decarbonize. Carbon pricing nudges the private sector towards innovation. It makes heavy polluters pay a fair price, and the revenues can be reinvested in the fight against climate change, in innovation, and in a just transition. But as I have played on this show more than once, Bill Gates, to whom people in power flock to, to whom the Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese met with in private at his official Kirribilli Prime Minister's residence in Sydney, but for which no notes have been taken, that Bill Gates, the one who is the second largest donor to the World Health Organisation, well, he says climate change is not that great a threat yet, certainly not in line of what Vanessa Kerry thinks, nor does he think that 1.5 degrees is even a real thing and that humans will survive at a 2.5 degree increase in average temperatures. Here it is again, but as you consider his statement, and he's not a good guy buying up farmland and promoting synthetic food, what is really going on here? Are the globalists going mad or is Gates trying to play cool to build compliance and support as the globalists fear they are running out of time, not before a climate meltdown, but a political meltdown where new leaders will abandon this climate hysteria? All right, let me ask you about climate change. You wrote earlier this month that the world isn't on track to avoid the limitation of global warming by the 1.5 degree mark. What, what is a realistic target then, and what is this level of warming likely to mean in relation to effects on the world and humanity? So climate change is not yet uh, the negative effects of it at you know, some level like malaria that kills 400,000 children a year. The reason that climate change is worth investing in <coughs> massively is because it will get worse and worse over time to solve it. There's no chance you'll hit 1.5 degrees. It's very unlikely you'll hit two degrees. The key is to minimize the warming as much as possible. And at this point, you know, staying below 2.5 would be pretty fantastic. And I do think that's possible. 2.5 degrees is possible, 1.5 degrees impossible. So why are the politicians pushing the 1.5? 
Why is John Kerry getting his daughter a job at the WHO to tell us that climate is a health crisis when it's not? Now, he won an Academy Award for Best Documentary for his film, An Inconvenient Truth. The man who used to be the next president of the United States, Al Gore, warned of a severe global catastrophe and has been doing so ever since. Here is a clip from 2017 where environmental economist Bjorn Lomberg, who declares himself from the radical middle, explains the climate hysteria as long as six years ago. 75% chance, complete environmental chaos. That's what former Vice President Al Gore predicted back in his movie in 2006, it didn't happen. There he said back in 2009, 75% chance, Arctic ice gone within the next five years, seven years. Eight years later, Arctic's still here. Why didn't Al Gore's predictions come true? Good to see you, by the way. <laughs> Good to be here. So, look, there's so many of these uh, catas catastrophic predictions in, in climate conversation. And it's very easy to make them. You get a lot of attention when you make them. And, you know, it'll be you and a few others who pull it out 10 years later and say, what happened to that? I don't know if you remember, Gore also told us we could go fossil fuel. The U.S. could be fossil fuel free uh, in its electricity by now. And of course, that didn't happen either. There's just, there's so much to be gained by making these radical headlines. And unfortunately, panicking people. Gain how? Make, well, gain for, you get a lot of attention. Everybody's like, oh my God. You go on the speaking to, circuit. You go, well, yeah. but, but also you get a lot of attention for global warming. And obviously, Al Gore wants us to do something about global warming. But the problem is when you get panicky, you end up making bad decisions, and that's what we have. You know, the, the whole conversation on global warming has been one long series of panicky decisions that haven't done very much for climate, but has cost a lot of money. Now, that was from 2017. That was 11 years after an inconvenient truth, and he was being called out then. So Gore got it wrong in 2006. His predictions didn't come true by 2017, six years after he said they would. So what is Gore up to next at COP28 in Dubai after jetting over there in a carbon-producing plane? Has Al Gore softened his stance on the claims he's made or has he doubled down? Here is Al Gore. This industry is way more effective at capturing politicians than they are at capturing emissions. And they have captured uh, the COP process itself now and overreached, uh, abusing the public's trust by naming the CEO uh, of one of the largest and least responsible oil companies in the world uh, as head of the COP. Uh, it's an abuse uh, of the, the public's right to have confidence in the, the processes by which the decisions about humanity's future are made. Because uh, the danger facing humanity is so grave, uh, we can say very simply that there is a, a test, uh, a simple test, of whether this uh, COP will be a success or a failure. If there is an agreement to phase out fossil fuels, it will be a success. If there's not, it will be a failure. So Gore wants the oil-producing nations in Dubai to phase out fossil fuels without a concern about costs to the people, who they must feed and clothe their families, many living hand-to-mouth, paycheck-to-paycheck. As bad as George W. Bush was, and I'm not, certainly not finished with him, we may well have dodged a bullet when Gore remained the future next president of the United States. 
As the debate shifted away from climate change, Ramaswamy did not hesitate to go on the front foot and speak of the taboos the political establishment has created, namely the 2020 election fraud, the 2016 Russiagate hoax, 9-11 truth on January the 6th. He has to talk fast because the panel, well, they want to treat him like a school student speaking inconvenient truth. The deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform? that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, that the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment (laughs) that actually put up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person on the stage who can say these things. The political establishment, along with their disciples, will stand by their narratives and call out anyone like Ramaswamy who bucks the system. In many ways, Ramaswamy is taking the heat off Trump. One such topic of debate is January 6th, as more and more video footage comes available, explaining that the event looked like a setup. But the establishment media continues to rely on past narratives that have been exposed and disproven to continue to maintain their hold over the narrative that is crumbling when a presidential candidate goes the other way and cannot be contained. Here again is Vivek Ramaswamy debating the facts with CNN host Dana Bush, in an interview post the debate. Let's start okay. with January 6th. Sure. There is no evidence that it is an inside job. It was a fringe conspiracy theory that the Trump-appointed FBI director, Christopher Ray has said explicitly over and over is just not true. So let me, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to address it. I was an anti-woke crusader leaving the business world. And if you had asked me three years ago, is there some chance January 6th is an inside job? I would have said that was crazy talk. I would say looking at the facts of the video footage that have come out, Dana, it is shocking that you still haven't gotten a clear answer of how many federal agents were in the field that day. Look at now the video footage of actually throwing explosives and rubber bullets into what was a peaceful crowd, then releasing to the public what came in response to that. But now look at the video footage that was released. And I'm glad we're talking about it because viewers deserve to look at that footage. Capitol Police literally letting people in who were then now prosecuted, some of whom have gone on to commit suicide because of what the government's doing. That is a case of entrapment. And I think the government has not been transparent about this, which is why I then brought up another case where the government, now 20 years later, with declassified documents, tells us that they lied to us at the time. And so I do think we have a government that's consistently lied to its people. An inside job suggests that everybody was who, who attacked the Capitol was well, part of say that. I didn't say that, but I was saying that there is a case, there's entrapment going on. There's entrapment going on, and this looks like a case of entrapment. And if you look at even over what the last What do you mean day, by entrapment? Entrapment means that the police no. goaded people to do something otherwise than they otherwise wouldn't have done, and then they arrest them for actually doing it. And you, you saw don't that, think and, it was and, actually the former president who let's, was let's, trying well, I think to that was the people. media narrative. Now, look at actually a hard case. We heard him, we heard well, him I'm with I'm going to ask you about ears. a case and see what you think about this, right? You guys said this for a long time about the Gretchen Whitner kidnapping plot. Suddenly gone silent after it comes out at trial that absolutely that was a case of entrapment, which is why two of those people were acquitted. So I'm saying this as somebody who... On the other side of this, as a biotech CEO, somebody who was even anti-woke, but if I was looking at this, I would have said a lot of this is crazy talk. But if you actually get into the details, I think it is startling 
how much the government has systematically lied. And I think it's both both parties over the course of the last 25 years. But on the, January the left used to be better 6, at pointing this out the, and being skeptical of the government. The most, but now it's the right. Which is the most aggressive, offensive attack on the U.S. Capitol and on democracy itself that we have seen in our lifetime and in many, many lifetimes to say without evidence that it was an inside I'm not saying it without dangerous. evidence. I think that what we're seeing now is the video footage that's come out. I was in a different place before a lot of that evidence came out. But you have to respond to the evidence. What is your response or what is anybody else in CNN's response to the video footage that was released of Capitol Police literally just peacefully allowing well, people well, into the Capitol? What we know or is shooting that into 850 people that's, that's, have been convicted but, of crimes. But the reality is many of them were convicted before that information was released. And I'm do glad, you think that former I'm President Trump has there, anything to do with no, 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 this? Because you're you're bringing up a really good point, and your audience and everybody deserves to know the truth about this. Normally, there's a rule in constitutional law. It's called the Brady Rule. You have to turn over exculpatory evidence to the other side. In this case, it wasn't turned over because the DOJ said Congress okay. was sitting on Ramaswamy on fire. And just because it's Friday, the last word goes to stand-up comedian and philosopher George Carlin, who knew 25 years ago what we are just working out now. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They want obedient workers, obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. It's a big club and you ain't in it. It certainly is a big club and doesn't seem that we're in it. The people there might get it they still need to be brought kicking and screaming into a world unruled by their hidden overlords one way or another. Truly an astonishing way. And it seems to be that the comedians are always that little bit ahead of the rest of us when they're able to work out exactly what it is that's really going on in the world. But of course, here at TNT Radio, we don't stop in uncovering the details every way we can to bring you the truth. One day, Everyone will be watching news just like we produce here at TNT. I'll be back tomorrow afternoon for a new weekend show with interviews, perspectives and a lighter look at the darkness because we only have one shot at this. We might as well have fun while we do it. Matt King from New Zealand will be here to talk about the revelations of the whistleblower over there. And Peter Richards will be on as well to talk all things military. Are just two of my confirmed guests. Well, Chris Smith is up next. This is Jason Olborn for Compass on TNT Radio.